Welcome to Health Matters at Sargent College. The mission of Sargent College is to advance, preserve, disseminate, and apply knowledge in the health and rehabilitation sciences. BU's Sargent College strives to create an environment that fosters critical and innovative thinking to best serve the healthcare needs of society. Each episode of Health Matters at Sargent College will include faculty, students, or alumni who will share their knowledge with you. I'm Karen Jacobs, the Associate Dean of Digital Learning and Innovation at Sargent College, and I'll be your moderator for each episode. Welcome to Health Matters at BU Sargent College. I'm delighted to have a special guest today, and it's actually someone I met when I was traveling this week. And if any of you are in the Boston area, you know that there were lots of cancellations. People were moving from being at Logan Airport to going on Amtrak and we were standing in line and just talking. It was about 5.30 in the morning while we were waiting for a train to New Jersey. And I met this really interesting um, person who I'm going to have introduce himself, give us a bit of background about yourself, Keaton, and then why I think having you on Health Matters is so important. So Keaton, welcome. Tell us about yourself. Hi, my name's Keaton Ellis. I am a fourth year PhD candidate at the University of Maryland studying economics. And also in my free time, I am a competitive Rubik's Cube solver and uh, Rubik's Cube competition organizer and uh, broadcaster. Well, Rubik's Cubes, I grew up with Rubik's Cubes. And when we were talking online, you were telling me that there's different sizes, there's different competitions. Tell us about that background, and then I, I want to find out why you got interested and then connect it to health and rehabilitation. Yeah, so at a competition, uh, the goal is to try and solve a Rubik's Cube as fast as you possibly can. You're given 15 seconds to look at a puzzle, and then you start a timer and then try and solve pretty much as fast as you can. We've got 17 different events uh, that the main governing body, the World Cube Association, uh, recognizes as official events and, and keeps pretty meticulous records of. Uh, anywhere from the standard Rubik's Cube, which you can think about sort of in your head as a three by three by three cube, uh, they go from as small as two by two up to a seven by seven puzzle. And there are also a bunch of different ways that we try and solve it as well. So you can solve it with any way you possibly can. Uh, and then there are restricted events where you have to solve it one-handed or potentially even blindfolded as well. First of all, for me, doing a Rubik's Cube could take a couple of days. How, how did you, you know, in what age were you when you decided to, you know, become this become something really meaningful to you in, in occupational therapy language and meaningful occupation? Yeah, so for me, I really got interested in cubing when I was probably in my early teens. I, I had just sort of picked one up at a toy store and it came with a little instruction pamphlet. 
and I used that instruction pamphlet to be able to solve it for the first time. It took me probably a day uh, in following this little pamphlet to be able to solve it for the first time. Uh, but within about a week, I was down to probably a minute or two. Um, but then the, the reason I really got into competitive speed solving uh, a cube, as opposed to knowing how to solve it and putting it on a shelf and fiddling it with it uh, for a little bit, uh, was I moved from uh, Michigan to Maryland when I was in high school. Uh, with my with my parents and, and brother, and uh, it was a really good way for me to connect with other people in my new school. Um, my my uh, new high school had a, a Rubik's cube club, and there were a ton of people in there um, that were all pretty competitive on speed solving, and so it was a way for me to connect with them and uh, talk about sort of the you know regular but uh, incremental improvements that you get. Uh, by sort of dropping your time slowly and slowly from a minute down to nowadays, I average about eight seconds on it. I, I'm, I was so amazed when you said eight seconds. Um, that's remarkable. I, you know, that would take me the amount of time to pick it up and try to hold it in my hand and, and try to just coordinate, coordinate holding it and moving it around. So how does someone who wants to begin to, to take cubing seriously um start do you is there are there classes um you know how, how would someone like myself begin to learn how to do something like this so i think one of the nice things about the cubing community uh in particular is that there's a lot of free knowledge out there in particular most people that i talk to that uh, i've become friends with over the years or i meet just sort of randomly at a competition, uh, they tend to learn from either a pamphlet that comes in their first cube, uh, cube box, or uh, they get to learn via the internet. And YouTube and pretty much any video website out there has tons of resources on how to solve, how to solve using various different methods, some of which are better for one-handed solving or blindfolded solving, or just the standard sort of two-handed approach. Um, and then there are lots of videos out there that show you how to incrementally improve. What are the things that someone who's just under a minute should be looking at? Someone who's just under 30 seconds. Uh, and so there are you know, a vast number of easy to understand resources and it's not something you have to spend a lot of money on. There are uh, top tier cubes that people that are world-class will use and they cost $8. Obviously, you can get more expensive and you can buy more, you know, you can buy some formal coaching online, but it's a very open source, uh, very sort of low cost of entry community that uh, we think is, is very inclusive to, to quite a few people. Yeah, I like that. Um, and, that and, and you picking up on being inclusive, I think, is really Im important. Um, so that makes a lot of sense being able to join this community, look at, you know, the instructions that are provided, but you've become really an expert. And I think this recent competition, you came in seventh. Can you tell us about that one? I guess it was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So there was a competition recently. Um, it was officially the Pennsylvania championships. Uh, which I helped organize as I live in the neighboring state of Maryland. Um, and 
I ended up coming seventh in this competition with uh, a mid eight second average. So we do multiple rounds uh, and the top sort of X percent will go on to the next round. And then in the final round, you simply place people. Uh, I actually, uh, as part of uh, competing as well, um, was one of the organizers for this competition. Um, and one of the things about our community is, is we're pretty small. So the people that, that run these events also, uh, as a treat, get to compete in them. Uh, but most of these types of competitions are, are for self-improvement. Uh, at, at competitions like this, there aren't prizes that, that will uh, have people coming from miles and miles around. It's mostly for uh, being able to improve your own times. Uh, and that means that the community in general is very, very supportive of pretty much everyone. Because at the end of the day, it's you racing against yourself. It's not you racing against other people. I love that, um, that it's so inclusive in that people are really embracing and engaging. And um, this is a great social participation because it sounds like it's a very social um, activity that people are doing. Yeah. And one thing we get as well is there are lots of different types of people that, that love solving it. I mean, we can talk about uh, the fact that it's popular in, in tons of countries throughout this world on every single continent there are people solving people old people young uh, there aren't a lot of biases that the cuban community generally has um, and and people are very welcoming in terms of pretty much every way you can you know, chop up a person that's great so can you share how you approach solving a, a cube so the, the method that I use to solve it takes uh, a cube, the standard Rubik's cube, which has 43 quintillion different combinations, um, which is uh, 43 with uh, 15 zeros behind it, and, and turns it into um, something that, that's a little bit more manageable. So instead of thinking about one out of 43 quintillion different possible combinations, I take a look at just a handful of pieces at any given time. And I build the cube up layer by layer, not side by side. Uh, so instead of thinking about you know, solving the white side and then the red side and then the green side, what I do is I say, I'm going to solve, well, the white side maybe, but then from there I solve the pieces that are sort of on the next layer of the cube. And then I finally solve the third layer. So I break it down like that. Um, and that way, what happens is you get to keep progress that you've made um, sort of neatly organized. And it gives you a lot of freedom to be able to continue turning the puzzle where you only break it up a little bit, do something to uh, work on the next uh, next step, and then put back whatever you broke. So it's uh, it's sort of a small incremental approach instead. Sounds like it works. And it sounds like it's something that over time you've really developed an incredible expertise. So when, if I was doing a Rubik's cube, I would use two hands. You mentioned doing it one-handed and doing it blindfolded. So a lot of dexterity goes into two-handed, obviously one-handed, and then I, I don't understand how you can do it blindfolded. 
Yeah, so dexterity is something that that is also uh, sort of specific on the method of solving it. For two hands, I mean, you have two hands, but when you solve it with one hand, what you try to do is um, emulate two-handed solving as much as possible. And so you use a lot of your pinky and your index finger to try and turn two faces, um, which is as close to solving with two hands as you possibly can get. And uh, you do have to develop quite a bit of... Uh, quite a bit of strength with your pinky um, in order to be able to turn at, at world-class speeds. When it comes to blindfolded solving, what we do is uh, we turn the cube into a series of letters. So uh, each sticker on a cube has a letter and we separate the corners of the cube, which have three stickers each, and the edges of the cube, which have two stickers each, into two sets of 24 uh stickers and then we assign one letter to each sticker and then we take these letters and turn them into usually a string of words so something like uh if i have the two letters bl i'll remember that in my head as ball and then if i have the letters like cg i'll remember it as cog like a cog in a machine and i'll go through this list um, and then i'll memorize those those objects in my head and then I just, after uh, learning a method for it, know how to turn these letters in my head into the correct moves in order to solve piece by piece when I, when I solve blindfolded. It's the, it, that's amazing to me. I also heard that people are solving the Rubik's Cube by juggling. Yeah, so there are a, a series of uh, viral videos that started with, with actually someone that I know named Robbie Fernando, um, who, who, can uh, who first learned how to solve a cube and then sort of juggle independently of each other. And then you can put them together thinking about it a lot like solving a cube one-handed, except... You do one move, and then you have to wait until the cube comes back to your, your hand again. Um, and then you do the next move, and then so on and so forth. Um, and it, it takes more than just knowing how to solve a cube uh, one-handed and uh, juggle. So I know how to solve a cube one-handed. Um, I know how to juggle, yet still I'm still dumbfounded by these people that can, that can do both at the same time because, because I definitely struggle to do that. It's amazing coordination um, and, you know, something in health and rehabilitation, many of the professions um, know this really well, how much coordination and cognition um, it takes to, to solve a cube. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to practice. I actually first have to get a cube and then I'll start practicing. I had one a long time ago. So we're almost finished and I love concluding um, my episodes or our episodes with a, what's your why? You know, what, why do you do this? What's your why for cubing? So my why for cubing is simply because it's fun. You know, I have, I've been cubing for, for more than 10 years at this point. My 10 year cubing anniversary uh, in competitions was actually earlier this year in January. Um, and throughout this time, I have uh, I've improved a lot. I've become one of the best in the world in both three by three uh, and or the standard Rubik's cube, and then uh, solving it one-handed. 
And then I've slowly transitioned into a role where I, I organize these competitions more. Um, and then at some of the larger events, I'm one of the broadcasters. So I'll, I'll do commentary over the top Cube Resolves. Um, but, you know, throughout all of this, I've developed a great network. I've made tons of friends doing this. Um, and I think that's really one of the things that keeps me going is the fact that um, I, I enjoy it. I just have fun doing it. And it doesn't particularly matter to me at this point in my, in my cubing career, whether or not I get first or whether or not I get seventh. It's going and, and being able to see a lot of people and, uh, you know, trying to try a new challenge each time. And uh, but if I don't get it perfect, that's OK, because I feel like I've uh, I've done what I've needed to do. And at this point, I'm, I'm just having fun on the way. And, and it sounds like thank you. And it sounds like you're mentoring other people, too. And in your role as the broadcaster and your role as setting up these events um it sounds like you're doing a pay it forward for other people as well which is really wonderful yeah absolutely i know that uh i'm i'm organizing plenty of competitions for people and then sort of when it's my turn to move on from from cubing and, and sort of take a back seat that these people will be able to pay it forward again to the next generation of cubers and we can keep this uh what i think is a very exciting hobby and sport going for for as long as we can well, thank you. And I'm so glad that even though you were stuck at, um, at the station in Boston and we were trying to get on a train because we were heading somewhere else, that we got to meet each other. And this was a pleasure. And Keaton, I wish you my best in your uh, PhD and in your cubing career. And I thank you for being on Health Matters. Yeah, thanks for the invite. It was, uh, it was a pleasure. 